right, Greg Boyd. Thank you. All right, here he comes. We are so encouraged. We, we feel very encouraged. That was a very, very, very encouraging uh, announcement you just made. You're, you're, you're quite the encourager. How are you doing? You look wonderful this morning. I'm Greg Boyd, one of the teaching pastors here. Um, I always feel the need to kind of explain this. Uh, I mentioned it last week that I am, for the purposes of being, having a little role in this movie that this person's doing, um, I, I'm not allowed to shave or cut my hair uh, for at least the next six weeks or so. Uh, so I will look increasingly gruff. <laughs> That's why I'm getting my afro back. Like when I was a kid, you just, I used to have this enormous afro. There's not as much hair now as it used to be, but it's still is. So I, I have it on the side, so it'll be growing out like this. I'll look more and more like Bozo the Clown. You know what? <laughs> My wife's very worried, though, because I've had several people compliment the look, uh, which uh, she... Anyways, anyways, that is that. Explains why I, I don't quite have that GQ quality that I normally have. <laughs> this is, uh, of course, uh, the 10th anniversary of uh, the attacks on the World Trade Center and then on the Pentagon and, and uh, the plane that went down in Pennsylvania, and it was... Um, I, I'm sure for, for many of us, most of us, maybe all of us, who are over 10 years old, a moment that are, that's frozen in time. Uh, it's one of those events that just kind of get etched there. I was, I was preparing for a class at Bethel uh, up in my office when my wife came upstairs and told me that something big was happening. At first I dismissed it because I had this class to prepare for, but, but she hollered, Greg, you've got to get down here. And I went down there and I saw that plane in, in the building or the smoke coming out of the building and then as we're watching another plane hits and, and it was just one of those moments frozen in time and it, it in various ways forever changed America I think in some ways for the better and uh, in some ways for the worse but it has changed us it certainly made travel less convenient um, but it's affected us in a lot of ways and so it's, it's uh, I think an appropriate time for us to remember, uh, as God leads you, to pray for the, the families of those who were lost in this atrocity. Uh, over 2,700 people died that day. And to pray for the, the families of, of the, the civilians and uh, the police force and the firemen who were lost uh, in, this, in, in this atrocity. It's also a good time to remember, as the New Testament teaches us, to pray for our leaders. The Bible tells us that. Pray for our leaders. Whoever's in office, it doesn't matter. We're to pray for them, and especially pray that God gives them the wisdom uh, to know the ways of peace. As Jesus was, was riding into Jerusalem uh, before the crucifixion, he, he prophesied about a destruction that was coming on Jerusalem. And, and he said it's because they do not know the ways of peace. Um, and so we pray for our leaders, that they would just have wisdom uh, to resolve problems in ways that do not uh, result in violence. Uh, that's all appropriate. It's also appropriate for kingdom people to remember that we're citizens of the kingdom first and foremost. In fact, the truth is that our, our citizenship, citizenship in any, any nation is uh, really a formality. Because what's really true is that we're ambassadors. We're missionaries and ambassadors of another country, wherever we are. And that other country is the kingdom of God. And so our citizenship is in heaven. And that needs to give us a global perspective on things. Whereas for people of the world, it's just normal to sort of see the world through the myopic lens of your nation and your self-interest. Kingdom people are called to see everything and interpret everything through the lens of Jesus Christ, through the lens of the kingdom of God, and have a global perspective. So it's good to remember 
that around the world at any given moment, every day, you know, we're, we're traumatized, rightly so, by, by 2,700 people being murdered on our own soil. But it's important to remember that many times that number are killed every day around the globe in war and in other forms of violence. Afghanistan, Iraq, uh, Somalia, there's atrocities going on all over. And, and, and we have to make sure that we stay clear of that kind of tribalism that evaluates the members of your tribe as more valuable than the members of any other tribe. As though our lives count more than theirs. And so uh, it's good to have a global perspective and remember that and to pray for peace as God leads you all around, all, all over the world, and pray for leaders all over the world, and pray for those who suffer all over the world. Uh, I, 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 I tweeted this this morning um, as I was praying about this, and this is, I think, just the kind of quintessential defining characteristic of the kingdom, what Jesus says several times uh, to uh, everyone loves their friends and loves those who do good to them. But what's uniquely kingdom is that we love and pray for our enemies. And it's good at this moment to remember that. Uh, what I tweeted was, it's good and natural to pray for your loved ones, but it's kingdom, distinctly kingdom, to pray for your enemies. And um, it's, it's, I think, one of the quintessential disciplines of the kingdom life is to uh, uh, commit to praying for those who threaten you, as Jesus teaches. In fact, he says, pray for those who persecute you, and uh, who abuse you, pray for, pray for your enemies, that you may be children of the Father in heaven. Uh, it, it speaks as though that's a precondition for being considered a child of God, because it's distinctly kingdom. And so I used to encourage people to actually envision Osama bin Laden and pray for him. Now, we can't do that anymore because he's dead, but, but I encourage us to, however this works for you, to envision those who are national enemies and personal enemies and commit to praying for them. And you pray for their families, you pray blessing on them, and of course you pray that God will change their hearts. That God will change their hearts and turn them around. But in the process, God's changing our hearts, you see? Because we're to love like the Father loves, like He causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust, and the sun to shine on the just and the unjust. We're to love indiscriminately. And so in this day, this, this time where we remember the victims of, in our nation, we also remember that we're kingdom people and are called to have a broader perspective. Amen? Amen, amen. amen. Well, today, uh, that's not what I wanted to preach on. Um, I, I, we're having this ministry fair today where we're making known to everybody the ministries of the church and the opportunities to serve that are out there. And so we thought it would be a good time to take a one-week a one break from Colossians and do a teaching on the church and the body of Christ and to kind of review what it is to belong to the body of Christ. We used to teach on this quite a bit. Uh, we haven't much in the last several years because we were in the book of Luke uh, which is a gospel, and so the, the whole issue of the church never came up very much, and so we spent six years in the book of Luke, so it's been a while since we talked about this. Uh, for those who have been around a while, this will be a review, but it's a very important review. And for others who are maybe new to the church, this might be altogether new, uh, altogether different perspective. So I want to talk on the body of Christ, and I want to title this message, Body Parts. Body Parts. Sounds like a horror flick. Hopefully it won't be a horrendous message. Body parts, because it's, it's focused on that, the fact that each one of us is part of a body. We're part of the body of Christ. And I want to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Can we get up there, Fritz? 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm just pulling out little, little bits of this uh, chapter, uh, the parts that are relevant to this message. No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. We talked about that. Unless the Holy Spirit is empowering you, you can't, on your own ingenuity and your own heart, confess Jesus Christ as Lord. Only the Holy Spirit empowers us to do that. But that same Holy Spirit then leads us to do other things. There are different kinds of gifts, Paul says. 
But all these gifts are the work of one and the same Spirit. The same Spirit that empowers us to confess Jesus Christ as Lord gives us gifts. And he distributes them to each one just as he determines. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all of his many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. So it is with the body of Christ. There's many different parts, but it's all one body. For we've all been baptized by the one Spirit. This is, uh, the word baptism means to be immersed into. We've been immersed by one Spirit into, into one body, to form one body. Whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, doesn't matter. And we were all given the one Spirit to drink. We're nourished as we're baptized into this body. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. You can't get a body if you only have one part of a body. I, I get a picture of some of these like Salvador Dali paintings, if you've ever seen these surrealistic things where he's got like an ear walking around or a nose walking around. That's not a, it's grotesque, surrealistic, horrific body. It's not a body at all. A body has to have many parts working together. If they were all one part, where would the body be, he says. You only have an ear. If one part suffers, or an eye, or whatever. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored... With every part, rejoices with it. Now you all, and in Greek, the, the, the you can be plural or singular. In, in English, we use the same word. But, but uh, here it's important. You, plural, are the body of Christ. And each one of you individually, that's a singular, is a part of it. Pray with me here for a moment. Father, we, we uh, on this date, uh, pray, God, for the families of all those who lost loved ones uh, in this attack 10 years ago. Bring peace and comfort to them. And we pray, Lord, for our leaders, that you show them the way of peace and give them wisdom. We pray, Lord God, for those who around the world are suffering horrific violence at the hands of others. Bring peace, Lord God. Bring peace to their leaders. Bring peace to their lands. And God, help us to... Uh, God, not be sucked into the myopia of, of uh, nationalism, but to always have a kingdom perspective, which transcends all nations and all ethnic divisions, all class divisions. Help us to have that perspective. And now, Lord, I pray for, for everyone in this auditorium or who's listening through podcast, our podrishners or television. Pray, Lord God, that you, Holy Spirit, would be working in our hearts and in our minds to open us up to receive your word to be motivated to act on your word, to be changed by your word, to be energized by your word, maybe to be convicted by your word. Let your word go forth in power and in your authority. In Jesus' name we pray and all of God's people said, Amen, Amen, Amen. Our bodies are the means by which we interact with the physical world. We do everything through our bodies. Uh, I'm up here talking to you right now because I got a body. If I didn't have a body, I couldn't talk to you. I have to use my mouth, I use my hands, I use my feet. I'm talking to you now through my body. And everything we do in the world is, is mediated through our body. Our body, our physical body, is the medium by which we interact with our environment, right? When Jesus was incarnate, that word incarnate, it means to be enfleshed. He took on a body. And everything the Son of God did during his earthly ministry was mediated through that body. His body was the medium by which he, he taught people and he healed people and he delivered people and he loved people. It was all done through his body. What this passage that we're looking at here this morning says is, and there's other passages in the New Testament that reflect the same truth, is that when Jesus died and rose from the dead and ascended into heaven, he acquired, and he sent forth his spirit, and by sending forth his spirit, he acquired a second body. This is body number two. And body number two is, is us. 
It's everybody who confesses Jesus Christ as Lord. It's, it's everybody who's yielded to the Spirit. You've been incorporated into the body of Christ. And so now, just as he did with his first body, but in a bigger fashion, through his corporate body, he interacts with the world. This is how he brings the kingdom through this, to the world. God is, of course, at all times and in all places, working in people's hearts and all, all of that. But in terms of his distinct kingdom activity, he works through the church. He works through his body. Just as he worked through his first body, now he's working through the church at large. We are the body of Christ. We are the hands and the feet of, uh, and the mouthpieces of Christ. We're, we're the physical representation of Christ to this world, and we're the medium by which Christ interacts with the world. But it's important for us to notice this, that we are that only as we are doing it together. The body is not any one of us individually. It's true you're the temple of the Holy Spirit, but you are not the body of Christ. The body of Christ is our togetherness. And, and, and it's our, our, our playing the role that the Spirit has equipped us to play within our togetherness. It's the usness that creates the body of Christ. Apart from this usness, we're useless in terms of furthering the kingdom. An ear detached from the head is not going to be a very helpful ear. It's, it's our togetherness under the headship of Jesus that he accomplishes his will in, the, in, ter, in terms of the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. It's our togetherness that, that does that. So there's two major points I want to bring out of this passage that we read here this morning. Very important points. Number one, what Paul is teaching us in 1 Corinthians 12 is that to belong to Christ is to belong to his corporate body. To belong to Christ is to belong to his corporate body. I mentioned last week how we in the West tend to have a very individualistic worldview. We, we see things through the lens of individualism. We don't recognize this usually because fish don't notice the water they swim in. Uh, and, and you don't notice the glasses you're wearing unless you're paying attention to it. We, so we, we assume this is the way things are, but we're very individualistic. We think in terms of I, not we. And we tend to read the Bible that way. But see, that leads us, as I said last week, to have sometimes misinterpretations of Scripture. Because the Scripture, the New Testament, tends to think in we categories, not me categories. It tends to think in terms of corporate wholes, and this is true of, of ancient peoples in general. We in the West, with our modern individualism, we're sort of the, uh, the odd ducks out. This is a new way of looking at the world. But in Scripture, they think more corporately. So, we tend to, when we look at the word salvation in the New Testament, we tend to think of it in, in terms of me and Jesus. It's a me and Jesus thing. It's a me and God thing. I get saved individually. I get saved. And, and it benefits me. And for most Western people, because they're thinking in things in terms of kind of a, in legal categories as we tend to do, it means that I'm off the hook for the consequences of my sin. I don't have to go to hell. So it's an individual thing, me and God, and it benefits me. The New Testament thinks primarily in corporate categories. Salvation is not an individual thing so much as it is a corporate thing, which is to say, to be saved means you belong to the group of people who are being saved. And salvation is, as we say a lot around here, it's not a, avoiding the consequences of your sin. It's being freed from your sin. It's being changed, being transformed. It's participating in the life of God. So to be saved means you belong to the group of those who are being saved, which means you belong to the group of those who are participating in the life of God, learning how to yield to God and sharing in the joy of God and the peace of God and, and in the confidence of God. All that is, 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 is what it means to have been saved, to be being saved, and that and you shall be saved in the future. And all of that, as we said last week, is summed up in this concept of being in Christ. 
Over and over again in the New Testament, we talk about, we hear about how we are in Christ. You've been transported from the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of the sun and incorporated into the sun. We're inside the sun so that now everything that was predestined for the sun, Jesus Christ, is now predestined for us. Because we're in the group of those who are in Christ. You see how that works? We are in Christ. It's a corporate concept. And, and so since, since being made holy and spotless and being adopted as children was part of what's predestined for all who are in Christ, well, if you're in Christ, then that's predestined for you. Salvation is a corporate thing. And it's not just about benefiting you. It certainly does benefit you, for sure. But it's also about benefiting others. Because to be saved means you're participating in the life of God, in the love of God. And God is, in his very inner nature, an other-oriented servant God. You see that through Christ, even becoming incarnate. So we are learning how to, as we participate in salvation, learning how to live out God's other-orientedness. To be saved is not just about you benefiting from something. It's you being called to a vocation. It's you being called to be the, a, 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 a part of the body of Christ, which is this medium of serving the world. To be saved is to be given a job description. It's to be, to be given an assignment, a role to play in the body of Christ. And that's part of what it means to belong to Christ. Part of what it means to be saved. From a New Testament perspective, the idea of being a solo Christian is unintelligible. It, it, it's completely foreign to the way the New Testament thinks. You get people today, quite a few people actually, who believe in Jesus, um, and they you know, pray and, 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 and maybe serve in areas and, and maybe even share Christ once in a while, but they do it on their own. Uh, they don't want anything to do with Christians. Christians bug them, and they don't want anything to do with the church. You know, the church has maybe hurt them, and they don't like organized religion. They believe in Jesus, but they're, they're just going solo. They don't want to be bothered by the hassle of church and all the hypocritical Christians and all that. And see, I totally get the criticism of the church. I got that. Uh, you know, I, I understand why, why people want to maybe stay, stay clear of that, and I myself am not at all a fan of organized religion. Um, I got the criticism. But I submit to you that from a New Testament perspective, going solo is simply not an option. It's simply not an option. In fact, from a New Testament perspective, the idea that you can go on your own is crazy. It, it, it's fundamentally contradictory to the way the New Testament thinks about being a disciple of Jesus. It's nuts. To think you can go solo is like thinking that you can be an ear without a head to be attached to. You're dismembered. Uh, and to think that you can actually function as a part of the medium by which Christ interacts with the world by going solo, it's like my finger thinking it doesn't need the hand or my foot thinking it doesn't need the leg. You get the point. Uh, to, to, to do anything in, in, in the kingdom of God from a New Testament perspective is to do it in, 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 a, in conjunction with others. You're associated with others. It's part of the body. You cannot go alone. It's crazy from a New Testament perspective. Or you might think of it this way. To think that you can uh, be married to Jesus, because remember salvation, the primary category to think of is in terms of covenant like a marriage. We're married to Christ. If, you're, if you belong to Christ, you're married to him. But to think that you can be married to Jesus without embracing his body is nuts. Think about it. What do you think if, if on my uh, marriage day, I'm up at the altar, and, and the pastor says, Shelly, do you want to take him to be your husband? And what would you think if she said, oh, yeah, I, I love him, I want to marry him, but I don't want his body. Now, she would be nuts not to want this body, let's face it. I mean, <laughs> but you get the point. 
See, to marry somebody is to marry their body. It's, it's part of the package. It comes together. You can't, we don't get to pick and choose. You know, this is why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7 that when you're married, you don't even own your own body anymore. There's a co-ownership there. Your spouse is, is partial owner of your body. You're giving it away. To be married, to have that one flesh relationship involves our body. And we're, we're, that's the kind of relationship Christ wants with us. It's embodied. It involves him. To have him is to have the body. To belong to Christ is to embrace his body. Now, when you marry somebody, you've got to marry their body. But it may not be a perfect body. I mean, not, not everyone can have my kind of body. Let's face it. Sometimes bodies are a little overweight. Sometimes bodies maybe, you know, wake up in the morning with bad breath. Can you believe that? Sometimes bodies grow warts and cancers sing on them that they're not supposed to grow. Sometimes bodies stop working altogether the, the way they were supposed to work. Bodies eventually decay. They eventually shut down. But if you marry the person, you marry their body. You've got to put up with it. It comes as a package. It's part of the deal. So it is with Christ. To be married to Christ is to be married to his body. Now, let's face it. This body's got a lot of issues. <laughs> it's flawed all over the place. It, it, it's got all sorts of junk in it. But going solo is simply not an option. To belong to Christ is to belong to his body. The same spirit, Paul is teaching us here in this passage, the same spirit that empowers us to confess Christ as Lord. That same spirit leads us to, he baptizes us into the body, immerses us into the body, nourishes us in the body, and then gives us gifts to share with the body. In fact, I submit to you, it's implied that to confess Jesus Christ as Lord means you take the next step with the spirit and get immersed in the body, and you get equipped to serve in the body. To confess Jesus Christ as Lord is to confess him to be head, right? He's the head. But he's the head of a body. As much now as when he was uh, here the first time, when he was in his incarnate form. If anyone would have cut off Jesus' head, the body would have stopped working because he's the head of that body. Are you following me here? Well, he's the head of this body, the body of Christ, his physical representation in the world. So to confess him as Lord is to confess him as head, but he's the head of the body. So if you're not part of the body, he's not your head. It's fundamentally contradictory to confess him as Lord and not have him as head by participating in his body. You see how this works? So, so, just as we had to yield to the Spirit in order to confess Jesus Christ as Lord, He doesn't make us do that. We had to yield. So also we're called to yield to the Spirit, who will plug us into the body of Christ, and then yield to Him as He gives us gifts to serve in the body of Christ, and to serve through the body of Christ. Which, if you do the math, if you do the math means that if you're out there listening to me right now and you're going solo, you're resisting the Spirit. You're not yielding to the Spirit to that degree. To confess Jesus Christ as Lord is to confess Him as head, and He is the head of the body, which means we have to be plugged in the body. Now, I'm not saying that everybody has to go to a Sunday morning church. And I'm not saying that everyone has to belong to a group that, that meets on Sunday morning or Saturday night in a building, a religious building. People say, I'm going to church like the church is a building. The church is not a building. The church is a people. All right, now this is a good, this is a teaching time with a little church and a worship time, and it, it's good, and God uses it, and, and it, it's good to gather together. But this doesn't define the church, because most people who come here on this, in this moment aren't doing their gifts towards one another. No, the church is when we function as the ears and the eyes and the nose and the feet of the body of Christ. And that doesn't happen here. This is about motivating and teaching and instructing, and it's, it's, it's good and helpful. But this itself is not the church. It's, it's a part, it's expression of church. 
but it's not the church. No, the church is when, pe- when people gather together and, and, uh, uh, and together serve one another and, and are used by Christ to serve the world. That's the church. So it doesn't mean you have to belong to uh, some building or uh, some denomination or, or anything like that. But it does mean that we need every person, every disciple needs to be attached to other believers, serving with other believers, worshiping with other believers, growing with other believers. That's, that's part of the package, what it means to be a disciple of, of Jesus. It can look a lot of different ways, but there's got to be some concrete, real attachment that goes on. I know there are times where that's not possible. There's times like that, seasons, where you're not sure where you're supposed to plug in. You're just church shopping, you know, and you have to discern where God wants you, and I got that. And then there are some of our parishioners who are in locations where there isn't any church available, or the churches that are available just aren't plug-inable, if you will. Uh, it's like one guy told me several weeks ago that he's got three churches in his town, and one is this extreme liberal one that just doesn't really stand for Christ at all. The other two are these fundamentalist churches that are basically just completely politicized and nationalized, and, and, and it hurts his faith more than helps to be a part of that. And so he, he's, he's solo. And I said, you know, there are times where that, that, that has to happen. But just know that that's not a permanent stopping point. You're, you're, you're out there on your own. You need to be plugged in with some other believers. That's how the, the Spirit will call you to that. So if there isn't anything available, right, we encourage people, parishioners, to start their own church. Be a church planner. And all that means is you invite somebody to your house, and a lot of, what a lot of folks do is they just sort of podcast the message, and then they talk about the message, and they maybe have a little bit of a worship, whatever that looks like, and then they, they, they gradually invite each other in on their lives to, to, to challenge one another and to grow and to be accountable and to serve their neighbors. That's church! Where two or three are gathered, that's church. As much church as any group that meets in a building. Uh, so it doesn't matter what it looks like, but it does matter that there's something real going on where we're plugged in to others and serving with others. To belong to Christ is to belong to his corporate body. The point is we can never divorce belonging to Christ from being attached to his body and serving in his body and serving through his body. And we can never divorce salvation from vocation. It's all one thing. You see? Salvation, vocation, Christ and the body of Christ. The second thing that we get from this passage in Corinthians is that we all have a role to play in the body of Christ. We all have a role. Paul says this. We read it earlier. Paul says this. As these gifts are the work of one and the same Spirit, the same Spirit that empowers us to confess Christ as Lord, does this. One Spirit, he distributes each gift to each one. He distributes gifts to each one just as he determines. Notice, to each one. To each one. Everyone say, to each one. That means everybody has got a gift. Everybody has been empowered by the Spirit to have something to share, some role to play in the body of Christ. Everybody. Everybody say everybody. everybody. And that means you. That means you, if you're a disciple of Jesus, you have some role to play in the body of Christ. Say it with me. I have, I have. A, gift a gift to share, to share. in the body of Christ. I have louder, a role to play in the body of Christ. Because the Bible says that each one has been given a gift. Each one has been, as the Spirit determines, given a role to play. You are a nose in the body of Christ, or an ear, or an eyelash, or a toe, or a toenail. I don't know. But you got some role to play in the body of Christ. To belong to Christ is to belong to his body. Everybody, has, the, the idea of being a non-participating part of a church is as foreign to the New Testament as the idea of being solo, going solo. 
It, it, it's part of the definition of what it is to be a disciple of Jesus is that you participate. There's some, some role, active role you're playing in the body of Christ. And it's so important that you play it. Whoever is called by the Spirit to this particular body, Woodland Hills now I'm talking about, the body of Christ is all the believers who are connected together doing the service of the world. But this is, this is the particular expression of the body of Christ here. And if a person is by the Spirit called here, if you're sitting on your gift, the whole church suffers. Something unnatural is going on here. To have a body part that is not playing the role that it's supposed to play, is, it diseases the whole body. That's why Paul says that when one suffers, we all suffer. The whole body suffers. When one is hindered, the whole body is hindered. It's like getting up from a chair when your foot's falling asleep. You don't walk very well. You can't just say, oh, that's just my foot. The rest of me is going to be fine. Because your body needs that foot. If the foot's not listening to the head because there's no blood flow there or what have you, man, you, you get up, you know how it is sometimes, and you're like, like this. Well, that's not how people are supposed to walk. You're not supposed to walk like this. You're supposed to walk like this. And so the foot's got to be obeying the head to do that. I can't pretend like my foot's different from me. Oh, that's just my foot. I, I'm fine. My, my, no, no, if the foot is down, we're all down. The whole body, to some degree, is going to be hindered and suffers. Paul makes a point in 1 Corinthians 12 to say that those gifts, uh, those body parts that are most inconspicuous and seem to be the smallest, actually deserve more honor. Uh, They play a vital role in the body of Christ. Everybody has an important role to play. There's no superfluous body parts in the body of Christ. It's like when I was 12 years old, I was going down, I've shared this story before, but I was going down this real steep hill with my friends, and we would do slalom sledding on sleds, and we'd go in and out of these telephone poles going down this very steep hill. And I didn't make the cut on the last one. I was an idiot. I was just, my dad had always told me never to do this. He saw us one day, and I was breaking his rules. And so I ran in the telephone pole at the bottom of this hill really hard, smashed my insides all the pieces. They had to open me up. And among other things, I, had to, I lost my spleen. don't have a spleen. Now, at the time, this is 1969, um, they thought the spleen didn't do anything. It was a, a kind of a, like the, I remember the doctor told me it was a, a vestigial remain. You heard that? Vestigial remain. Which means uh, it's, it's a, it used to play a role in human history way back a million years ago or something, but now we've outgrown it, but we haven't lost the thing yet. Which is, I think, nonsense. But um, yeah, so, so they thought it was a useless organ. Which is why, as I was growing up, I never connected the dots, to talk about dots here, I never connected the dot between the fact that I got strep throat almost every year, sometimes several times in a year. I got strep throat all the time. Gross. Oh, white stuff in your throat. and oh, this is, uh, I always had that. So I never connected the, that to the fact that I didn't have a spleen. Well, now they know, my doctor told me about 25 years ago, that the spleen actually plays a very important role in the body. It, 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 it filters the blood in a particular way that helps the body protect against certain kind of viruses and, 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 and other things. And they now know that people who don't have a spleen are much more vulnerable to getting strep throat and a number of other things than people who have their spleen. So now every five years i got to get a shot, this kind of shot thing that, that, that takes the place of the spleen. The point is that who would have thought the spleen was important? You never see the spleen. If you see the spleen, it's kind of ugly. But man, it plays a really important role in the body. We, the body of Christ needs every person to step up and to play the role that the Spirit has given them to play. And when you don't do that, the whole body suffers. And it's not just that, that the church needs you. You need the church. If you're going to be a, 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 a kingdom person that's vibrant and filled with the Spirit and, and, and being used by God, you need the church. Even if you're attached to, the, to a, a group of people, if you're not playing your role, well, you know what happens to your body if you're not using a part for a long time. You use it or lose it. 
You don't use your arm for a long period of time, man, that arm starts to shrink and decay, and you know, it just gets all flabby. You use it or lose it. And so for your sake, you need to step up and play the role that, that, that the Spirit is calling you to play. Uh, you, it may be that if you're finding that you know, God just doesn't seem real in your life, or you just don't seem to have the power to confront sin in your life, and, or you don't seem to be changing or growing, and, and, and you're not walking in your identity in Christ, or, or what have you, it may be it's because you're in a state of spiritual atrophy. If you're not playing the role in the body that God's called you to play, you are in a state of spiritual atrophy, in a state of spiritual decay, whether you know it or not. And so it could be that uh, what you need to jumpstart your spiritual life and start, start growing and to start experiencing God in a real way is what you need to do is just get involved, step up, start playing the role that the Spirit has empowered you to play. Because all of us have a role to play, and that role is vitally important. Now, maybe some people are hearing this and they're saying something like, well, you know, I, you know what, I, I just have nothing to offer. I, 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 I'm simple or I'm uneducated or I just don't have any talents. Dad always told me I don't have any talents whatsoever. I can't sing like Greg Wall and I can't teach like Greg Boyd and I can't this or that and the other thing. I'm a nobody. I got nothing to offer. And if you're thinking that, listen to this now. That is in contradiction to what we just read, right? Everybody has a gift. And, and, and so on the authority of God, I can tell you that what you're thinking when you think I'm a nobody and have nothing to offer, that is a lie. On the authority of God, I can tell you that is a lie out of the pit of hell. On the authority of God, I can tell you that is of the devil. Uh, so on the authority of God, I can tell you to rebuke that thought. Rebuke it. I mean, on God's authority, I can tell you, you have a gift. You're important to the body of Christ. You have a role to play. It's vital that you play. You've got something to offer. And on the authority of, of, of God, here in this passage, I can tell you that it just doesn't matter whether you're smart or not so smart, whether you're educated or uneducated. It doesn't matter what social class you're a part of. It doesn't matter what dad said to you or mom said to you or how useless maybe you felt all your life. God is telling you you have a vital, vital role to play. And don't compare yourself or anything with anyone else. See, that's what Paul's, Paul's confronting that in 1 Corinthians 12. He's saying, you can't compare and evaluate gifts in terms of their importance or whatever. The ones that look least important are sometimes the most important and deserve the more honor. So, so the fact that your gift maybe isn't being up in front of people doesn't change anything. What I'm doing right now is my gift. This is my calling in the body of Christ. Uh, but that's, no, that's different from, but not more important than, what Al does, a 78-year-old guy, every Monday morning when he comes in and touches up the paint on the building. That's the role he plays. It's not any different than what Betty does when she's helping out in the children's church or what, 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 what Gerder does when she's folding the bulletins out there. Gerder, where did that come from? What the heck? Uh, whoever, you know, the people who are folding the bulletins or whatever role you play, it doesn't matter. You see, what's, what's important is that you play the role that the Spirit is calling you to play. Now maybe, maybe you're here and, and, and uh, you, you don't know what your gift is. That's fine. You don't know what your role is. That's fine. Uh, you, nothing really has grabbed you. Got that. That's fine. That's fine. But don't sit around waiting for a divine revelation before you start doing something. Well, I'm just waiting on God to tell me what to do. It's been five years now, but in the meantime, I'm just going to kind of sit. No, 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 no. The best way to find out what you're called to do is to start doing stuff. It's like we said in our series on, on God's will hunting. Uh, you know, this, if, you, if you don't get, as you're, as you're laying out the, the options there, if you don't get a distinct divine direction on the way you're supposed to go, well then, just delight yourself in the Lord, make Him the, the goal of your life, and do what's on your heart to do. Because the Bible says if we delight ourselves in the Lord, He'll give us the desires of our heart, right? And so, so love God, and then do what you want to do. What grabs you? What floats your boat? What turns you on? What jazzes you? Or at least what interests you? 
And if it doesn't even interest you, well, what need do you see that needs to be met? Do that. And I guarantee you that as you're doing stuff, uh, you'll learn what your gift is. Life is, 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 always goes forward. It, it's not stagnant. It's a river. Or life's like a bicycle. The way you've got to learn how to ride the bicycle is, is you get on it and start going. You can't do it by standing still. So also we learn. It's all on the job training, folks. We learn our role in the body of Christ as we do stuff, as we go forward. So if you don't know what you're called to do, well, fine. Just walk out there in the ministry fair. Whatever grabs you. Whatever needs you see. Uh, it doesn't have to be a divine revelation. Don't get mystical. It's, it's whatever gentle nudge is there. And step up and do that. Some people think that they're too damaged to play a role in the body of Christ. Sometimes people think because of past sin, they can't, they, they're disqualified. I get that every once in a while. I had a lady uh, wanted to help out in children's ministry, but she'd been divorced and remarried two times, and, and she was told in her church that that just meant she was a bad example and she couldn't uh, have a role with kids anymore. <laughs> Here again, I want to say that, that, that I, I, on God's authority, I want to rebuke that idea as of the devil. What happened in the past Learn from it, grow from it. Maybe there's time to take a break and, and so you can process that. But, but last I read, uh, when you come to Christ and you confess your sins, he's willing to forgive your sins. Amen? Uh, you, the, the, the slate is white clean. Uh, it's, you, you get a do-over. And, and, and you're holy and blameless now. You're reconciled with God. The past is, doesn't matter. I don't care what the past was. What matters is right now, right now you're a child of God. And he always starts with us in the present. He always starts with us in the now. We learn from the past, but we don't live in regrets of the past because the now is forever new in the presence of God. His mercies are new every morning. You're a new creature in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away. So that, that is that. But now what matters is what's God calling you to do now. This idea that, that there's any sin in the past or any, anything you've done in the past that could disqualify you from ministry, I just think is so, so... i got to keep on going. I've I, I, I got to end this thing. But it's just wrong. And then there are people, there are people who just are too wounded. They, they believe they're too... I, I'm just wounded. I'm, I'm still struggling. I'm wounded. And I, I just can't do anything. And there is, I want to say this, that's legitimate. There's a, there are times we've got to take a break. There's times we've got to rest. You break your arm, you got, the arm's just got to go in a sling. So there's a time to rest in the sling. Got that. But just know that that can't be a permanent thing. That arm is supposed to function. So as soon as you can, you need to start exercising that arm. Otherwise, it's going to keep on going into a state of atrophy. There's a time to rest. There's a time to get healed. There's a time to take a break. There is. But the purpose for doing that is to get back in the game. Everyone has a role to play in the body of Christ. Now, the final thing is this. Does this mean that everyone's called to, to be involved in a Woodland Hills-sponsored ministry? You know, the, the things that are, are sort of inside the, the, the organization of Woodland Hills Church. And the answer is no, it does not mean that. Some are called to be ministering inside the church in different roles. Others are, are called to be doing stuff out there in their neighborhoods or what have you. Many people are called to do a little of both. Um, and so, so if, you're, if you're called to Woodland Hills Church and you're just out doing some ministry that we don't even know about, that's legit. That's still Woodland Hills Church. So there's no judgment about who serves in the church or who doesn't. On the other hand, we've always been aware that we do a better job of highlighting the needs of ministries outside our body than we do for the ministries inside our body. Um, and the reality is we need people to step up for the ministries inside our body to, that, that, are, that, that, that keep this church running. And so we're having this ministry fair. To just say, here are the opportunities. Here are the needs. And I encourage you when we close, I'm going to ask the prayer teams to come forward as I pray. And if you're here and have any need of whatsoever that you'd like to have prayed for, come up here and, and, and pray. Uh, don't, leave, don't leave with that burden. 
The rest of us, I encourage you to spend a few minutes out there. You have your dot. Write your name on the dot. Walk around those tables. And if there's something that interests you, a little push, a little nudge, doesn't mean you're committing your life to it. It just means you're kind of interested. Maybe. It's a maybe. Well, give them your dot. Give them your dot. And um, this is how the body of Christ begins to function as the body. Step up. Play your role. Like we can do together, usness, all that God has called us to do. Father, I thank you, Lord, for... Uh, God, the fact that you are willing to work through uh, physical people with all their imperfections. Your body is a flawed body, but you and your grace call us to be a part of it and, and, and call us to be the means by which you use it to minister to one another and minister to the world. And so, Holy Spirit, will you just direct us and guide us and lead us and give us the right nudges as uh, we now uh, kind of put out the smorgasbord of, of ministries that, that, that need people to step up and direct and guide each one of us. Give us a heart to serve and our salvation benefits others and not just ourselves. In Jesus' name we pray. And the body of Christ said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Go out. Follow the Spirit.